Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is your podcast, Cinema Pathways, the unique and only podcast that takes you to the next level of film. Brought to you by Paradoxical Films, Movies on Demand. I'm your host, Howard Brain. Welcome to the fourth episode of Cinema's Pathway. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Let me ask, what do Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight and Charlize Theron in Monster have in common? Besides both being Oscar-winning performances, they're two of the most memorable recent examples of outstanding makeup in cinema. Makeup artists don't just make the performers look pretty and camera-ready, but as artists, they're able to completely transform characters. Our guest today is an award-winning makeup and effects artist, I've been fortunate to be able to see his work up close. I'm happy to welcome Mike Maloney. Mike, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Hi, thank you for having me. Mike, let's begin with talking a little bit about your background. You were born in Illinois. You went to film school in Vancouver. You now live in South Florida. How did you end up as a makeup and effects artist down here in Miami? So I actually started working in the haunted house industry when I was very young. And I've been probably doing that since I was about 10 years old. And that kind of just you know, snowballed and snowballed into me eventually knowing everything about makeup because I was working and doing the makeup. I was also building sets. I was also doing all this other stuff in the haunt industry. So when I went to school, the American Academy of Art, I decided I could actually just do film because somebody came in, uh, Anthony Kozar, who won season two of Face Off, who I actually took some classes with as well. He did a presentation about, you know, just special effects and blood and stuff like that in like the film industry and I realized like wow that's really what I want to do so that's kind of when I transitioned everything that I know over into the film industry and left for Vancouver and you know started pursuing more makeup was there was there one instance aside from meeting um the gentleman that you mentioned was there one instance or sometime a makeup effect that you saw in a film or live um in the haunted industry that really made you say this is what I want to do. So definitely I have to say either The Exorcist, because that was just, just a disgusting film. I lo- absolutely loved it. It was just so interesting. Like I, it's really before that, it was anything that I've never se- I've never seen anything like like. Mike, you mentioned how The Exorcist was a big influence on you. Obviously, The Exorcist is a hugely impactful movie in so many ways. What was it about it that really stood out for you? And how did it really impact you going into this career? So at the time, I was actually very religious and my family was very religious. So kind of seeing this almost like sacrilegious movie about like Jesus expelling demons and stuff like that is very, you know, it really caught my eye. And then that on top of that really caught my eye about the special effects because I was like, oh, how do they do that? How did they do that? So I went and researched it all. And that's kind of what really started my drive of getting more away from just like general haunting more to just creating like an experience that people would love because I was the whole time I was just like this is so cool like I would love to be involved in something like this how do I get involved in something like this and ever since then it's just like I said it's snowballed into where I'm at now so it's interesting you bring up the the religion aspect there's a story that came out when Joel, Joel Schumacher was making St. Elmo's Fire in the early 80s. You know, the film takes place in Georgetown. He went to the university, uh, to Georgetown University, requesting a film there, and they denied him from that. And his response was, wait a minute, you let the exorcist 
film here with everything that goes on in that movie, but you won't let me. And their response was simply, yes, but in The Exorcist, the devil doesn't win. So it's a uh, fair a, enough, I pre- guess. <laughs> pretty, fa- pre- pretty interesting story um, coming back from that. Yeah, no, honestly, I've never seen anything like it before. It was one of my favorite films. And that really was really what inspired me to get into the haunt industry because the haunt is just so much of that aspect. And it really like kind of ties in. So haunted, we're obviously in, in Halloween season. Is that strictly a seasonal type of thing or are there places where they have haunted houses or haunted hayrides, that type of stuff year round? You mentioned that you do a lot of, you, you started off in a haunted industry. We're in the middle of Halloween season. Is the haunted industry something that only pops up this time of year or are there places that have year round haunts and haunted hayrides type of stuff? So there are a couple places throughout the country that do have other like events going on, but primarily all the haunted houses are going to happen like September, October, and a little bit in November if they are very successful. However, a lot of those same haunted houses will kind of transform their property into other things such as like laser tags or some have escape rooms, party rooms, that type of thing. And that's really what is going to be like the money pusher for a lot of the haunted houses. It's like all of that extra stuff. So yes, there are some but I wouldn't say a lot. Most of them are kind of set up right before and then kind of torn down and restructured throughout the year and then reset up the next. I mentioned that you got a film school in Vancouver, film schools, it's pretty broad, but I know most film schools, they don't include makeup and effects as as part of their curriculum, but you actually have a master's in makeup for film and television. Where is that? Is that a rare program? Is is it a one of a kind? Yeah, so it's actually a program. It's funny. It's a program they no longer have at the school that I went to. So I went to Vancouver Film School. And at the time, it was like the best makeup school in the country in the like in the northern hemisphere. So I was just like ecstatic to go there. I got a, a scholarship and it was I just learned everything special effects. And that was like the number one special effects school at the time because unlike other schools this school all the teachers were in the industry they were all working consistently and currently working so you know we got to go on sets that they were working on we got to really learn the right then and their knowledge instead of stuff they learned five ten years ago so it was really good to like learn from those type of experts so what you learned from those experts was that more more of practical effects more of actually live effects opposed to things now being a lot of CGI and after effects, things added in post. Yeah. So that's going to be definitely more like practical effects. I actually got yelled at my first day um, because I was outside, you know, talking to some of the new like schoolmates I met and the teacher came out and I was like, yeah, it's the special effects class. Right. And he's like, no, actually this is practical effects. And I was like, oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry. Like, and that's kind of where I learned that special effects and practical effects are actually completely different things because special effects is going to be more of the actual, you know, like blood squibs and, you know, really intense blood effects as to where practical effects is going to be at the actual prosthetics practically pro- applied to the face. So speaking of prosthetics, you do prosthetics as well. You do prop work. You also do set design. Are those natural extensions? of makeup and effects or is that something that you deliberately veered into just to expand your toolbox yes because they kind of go hand in hand um practical effects is pretty much prosthetics that you're putting on the face um however it's not always prosthetics it could be you know an onset effect which would be more of like 
maybe if you're building up a silicone design on somebody's face on set, um, that would be more of an onset effect as to where the prosthetic would be something that's made at a lab or at home or in a shop that is then brought to set to apply to the face. So if I'm keeping track of everything, you do makeup, you do practical effects, you do prosthetics, but you also do set design and construction as well. Yes. So that kind of came into fact when I was like, again, in the haunted house industry. And I just kind of helped build all of the sets and all the designs. And I eventually kind of got really into the crew and became like family with them. And it's kind of unfortunate I no longer talk to them. But I learned so much from them. I really did. Because, you know, like I said, in regards to your question, I learned set design. I learned prop building. I learned all this stuff that I can use in the film industry. So that that really is where my base of the film industry comes from, is the haunted house community. So being in South Florida, um, we've talked on previous episodes about, you know, it could be a bigger film hub. You know, it's mainly a hub for independent films. Have you had an opportunity to go to some of the film hubs, to Atlanta, to New York, to L.A., to work? Yeah, so I actually just went to Georgia very recently. I was shooting my friend Dexter's film, which actually was his thesis for his SCAD project. So that was a lot of fun. I was up there for about three days in this beautiful location in this 1830s cabin, which was just insane to live in and shoot in. So it was a really good experience. So when you when you watch movies, what do you look for in, in makeup, in practical effects? Do things stand out to you? Does it take away a little bit of the enjoyment of watching a movie because you may be nitpicking, looking for things that are missed or thinking that you know, these effects could have been better. Oh, I literally can't even watch a movie without looking at the special effects. Like the whole time, like I could be, nobody likes to watch a movie with me because I'll just be like, Oh, look at that. That was done like this. And like, Oh, that's look like, Oh, that, that could have been better. And I'm like, you know, I'm so critical about movies, but like I, I half the time I'll have to watch the movie once just to look at the practical effects. And then I'll watch it again for the storyline. Cause like, yeah, it I, just gets, I can relate. My wife and I are both veterans. So watching any military movie, it's just nitpicking. Everything from a uniform to, you know, the bad use of dramatic salutes. Oh, so you know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So within within South Florida, what type of films do you gener- generally work on? Uh, obviously indies, but is there a, uh, you know, is there a, a horror industry down there? Is it more just straight dramatics? Is it more psychological? Are people, you know, starting to be a little bit more experimental down here? I would say student films tend to be very experimental. However, when it comes to feature films and stuff like that, people are very specific about what they want. So I'll normally get some kind of sheet breaking down, like what production is already broke down, what is the most important makeup. But then I will kind of go through and break it down myself and then kind of break that down into even deeper levels. So I'll be like, okay, we need this makeup, but we're going to have to have all these products for that makeup. And we'll have to have all these brushes for that makeup. So I'll kind of break that down and then include that all in my inventory so I don't take anything I don't need, so I don't have to take too much stuff, but I bring enough just so I can get everything done. It's very interesting you bring that up. That's something I definitely want to dig a little bit more into uh, in our next segment when we're going to talk about uh, you know, what type of pre-production and the idea that makeup artists and effects artists don't just show up on a set on day one. But keeping within talking about, about South Florida, has the craft of makeup and effects suffered um, because there's not necessarily schools that it's really more, is it more of a trial by 
by error, you know, find a mentor, just start doing it. How does somebody who's thinking about doing that really get their foot in the door? Honestly, it's just failing after failing after failing until you finally succeed because there's just so much out there, especially with Instagram and social media. Now, everybody sitting in their house thinks they're some kind of makeup artist because they can pick up a brush and touch a face with what's basically just straight pigment. So when it comes to film for makeup, there's actually a completely different process when it comes to applying all the makeup to the face. Great. And we want to learn more about that. This has been really fascinating. Again, your backstory is interesting. You've, you've been around. You've done some really neat things. We're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll get a bit more into the actual craft that you were starting to touch on of being a makeup and effects artist, things that you do in pre-production and really how you conduct your, your craft on a day-to-day basis while, while on a film. This is the Cinema's Pathway Podcast, and we'll be right back. And we are back. This is the Cinema's Pathway Podcast. Again, I am joined by makeup and effects artist Mike Maloney. So, Mike, it's pretty well known. Crew and cast, they work long hours on sets, start before sunrise, end well into the night. For makeup artists, it can't or it really shouldn't wait until the first day of shooting to start figuring out how each character is going to look, what supplies you need. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about your pre-production process, how you prepare yourself? You know, how you get actors ready really before the cameras start rolling? Absolutely. So what I usually do is I'll start with their headshot and then I'll bring that headshot over into some kind of app like Procreate so I can start and draw and actually design out that makeup on their face based on the script. And then depending on how many changes there are, I'll do several face charts. And then going from those face charts of the headshots, I'll then go in and see, okay, what do we need for this? And then when we get a chance, you know, I'll schedule a makeup test for all the actors if we need to, which normally we really need to, and specifically anything involving blood. So anything involving blood is always going to have to have at least a day of just testing because everything and anything could possibly go wrong with blood because it gets everywhere. You know, wardrobe needs to be involved. I have to talk to pretty much three different department heads to get a good idea of where we're going because, you know, the wardrobe is going to get some blood on it. The hair might get blood in it or anything of that nature. Anything could happen. So when we do that test a day before, that can kind of solve any of those problems. So when the day comes for shooting, it's like, okay, boom, boom, boom. Everything's already in place. We've already tested everything out and everything's good to go. And sometimes with blood, it gets to places that you may not have even considered. Uh, Walls, furniture, uh, cameras could sometimes get on there. But but speaking of blood, do you make your own blood? Is there a supplier that you get it from? I'm sure there's different types of blood that you use for different for different uh, instances. Yeah, so there's going to be different types of bloods based on this viscosity. So if you want more of a thick blood that's going to be sitting on the ground, you're actually going to want something that's more of like a paste so it stays in place as to where if you want something more that's running going through a tube, say for a squib, then you're going to want a different type of blood. So I usually get all of my blood either from Mayron or uh, Friends Beauty. So Friends Beauty is a really good place that I, in general, just like to go for anything makeup related because they have all kinds of different stuff. This isn't even a plug. I just, I love to use their website. They have some really good stuff. Um, So that's pretty much yeah, where I get all of my blood from. And and you mentioned using a tube. How does that work? 
so depending on what the shot calls for, say if there's like some type of neck slit or if somebody's dying, they're going to shoot out blood, you know, because that's just how the body works. So we have to rig it up so it looks realistic. So the way to rig it up realistically is going to be like the same kind of breakdown as I would do for just a general makeup is I would take their headshot, I would point out where it's going to be, and then I would draw where that tubing is going to go. So then we get exact measurements and then get exact measurements with the tubing as well, along with the actor or actress, whether who, whoever it be. And then to, to actually make the effect come to life, is that a, do you use a pump? Do you just blow into the tube? Is there something else that you use? Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it comes down to that. But usually we try to use some type of rigging machine, like some type of pressurized air because that's going to get a consistent flow of every single time and you can set it to it however you want it to shoot out if you want it to blast out like a cannon you can or if you want it to just like trickle down you can do the same how do the actors often react when they first get splattered with blood oh they love it it's really honestly whenever we do a shot like that i always tell the director not necessarily the actor but i tell the director this is like a one take because this is going to be their one true reaction and you're really not going to get a true reaction after that because they're, they're going to know what's coming. Oh, that's a fascinating point. Yeah, didn't think about that. Yeah. So those are obviously a little bit more complicated shoots. Even if you're doing a relatively, we'll call it easy shoot, for example, there's no practical effects, no blood, no prosthetics. I guess you could call it everyday makeup um, on the actors. What are still some of the challenges does, you know, especially in the South Florida you know, if they're shooting outside in the heat, if there's rain coming, humidity, um, how do you an anticipate and how do you handle those? So all those factors are definitely going to be taken into consideration. However, when it comes to just a general makeup, I like to do the same thing like with the headshots. But instead, what I'll do is I'll go and actually like beautify their face. And I'll, I, my personal favorite app is Procreate because that just is fantastic to use. So I just throw the photo into Procreate and then I'll just take a airbrush makeup like pencil and draw that out onto their face and that'll create different layers. So one layer will be the foundation and that'll be a set color. I'll have that set color drawn aside. So in case I need to reference it again, I'll do the same thing for the bronzer, the blush, the eyeshadow, the lips, anything really that needs to be done. Uh, because when I went to school for makeup down here, it was at Cosmics. So that's how I ended up in Florida. So when I went to school for Cosmic, since the school I went to in Vancouver was more special effects, practical effects based, I came down here more for beauty makeup. So, so when we talked makeup, we had spoken before the show about some of the things that you do. You mentioned that you use this mathematical approach. Can you explain that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. So I love to use a mathematical approach when it comes to makeup because the face is geometry. So there's actually, it, it went famous on TikTok a while ago. It's like a, like a geometrical breakdown of the face. So I'll actually throw that on top of the face to see where they're at because, you know, everyone's faces are going to be a little bit more symmetrical than the others. Some people might be a little bit less symmetrical. So what I'll do is kind of throw that face chart on them and see where they're at and then base the makeup on that, whether I want to bring the face up and lift the face and creating beauty or if I want to drag the face down, hence creating more of like a demonic, evil, like tired look. So from what I hear, you're on a set, you're doing makeup, you're doing practical effects, you may be doing prosthetics, you may be doing pro... Do you always work alone? Do you have a team? Do you have an apprentice that works under you? Do you partner 
with other makeup artists? I do partner with other makeup artists if it calls for it. If I can just do it myself, um, just for production wise, I'll probably just do it myself because, you know, to bring another person on is usually a couple more hundred, maybe even thousand dollars. So if the production can afford it, yes, I would love to always have an assistant there. However, sometimes on smaller productions, I do do it myself or, you know, the director or the producer might have a friend that wants to get into makeup. So they're like, hey, like, can I help out? And then I'm like, absolutely. Is there a is there a number of characters in a cast that you'll look at and say, I can handle this many by myself or if it goes over this number, I definitely need to call them back up? Yeah. So that kind of goes back to me breaking down the script. So when I break down the script, I'll actually kind of take a mental note of how long each makeup will take. Um, And then I'll take that to the director and I'll be like, okay, do we have an hour for me to do this makeup? Or do we have 25 minutes for me to do this makeup? And I always like to go a little bit over because, you know, it's always better, especially because if you're a makeup artist, you're more likely to make the, the crew run behind, unfortunately. So I always like to give, you know, if it's a 45 minute makeup, I'll say an hour. So that way I'm 15 minutes early instead of being, you know, 15 or five minutes late leading up to production running behind. Right. And you mentioned the production as a whole filmmaking. It's a collaborative process. Uh, We own that. But in your case, you may find yourself having to manage different personalities. I would think, you know, maybe the director wants a certain look, but then the DP, they have a certain way they want the light to reflect off, off the actor. They want to catch them in a certain light. Uh, I'm sure actresses and actors, you know, they have a certain way that they want to look, you know, Make sure you get my best side. How do you manage all those different personalities? And ultimately, who has, in a situation like that, who, who would have final say? So definitely the director, I would say 100% has final call. But on set, if I have to go to somebody for something, it's always going to be the art department. Because the art department is technically in control of the makeup department, the costumes, and wardrobe. Just in general, anybody that has to do with art. So that's who I'll go to if I have any questions about anything specific on set. But if it's something that's going to happen before set, it would be going to the director and going to the Zoom calls and again, going through those face charts. Do you find the smaller independent productions down here, do they have art departments, full art departments, at least have an art director? Have you been in situations where you kind of become the the de facto art director? Yeah, unfortunately, there's been a lot of cases where I kind of just kind of take the lead because they see that I have experience in that. And they're like, "Okay, can you help us out with that? Can you help us out with that? And I'm not really a money hungry person. As long as I can pay my bills, I just want to create really cool stuff. That's all I care about is creating just really cool things for people to see. So if I can help out with that in any way, shape or form on set. I'm always willing to if I have time. So, so you you've probably, you've done a lot of neat things. You've done some great makeup. You've done a lot of cool prosthetics, props. Is there any one of those that really stands out as being just you know a piece of art that you're really proud of or, or really memorable? Yeah. So I would actually say my favorite of all time is going to be any type of face cast. So my favorite face cast is the one that we did for a film of my friend Alex and we actually casted this woman's face and entire head and then bashed it in with a bat. So that was really fun to watch because just, it looks so realistic. You can actually see it on my Instagram at Maloney effects and check it out. Cause it's, it's just, it's so realistic, like how it turned out and we use body double. So body double is a product that is created to go onto the skin to create an exact copy. 
like down to the pore. It's fantastic. It's one of my favorite products to use. And that really helps with creating really cool stuff. So, you know, to use that and then build on my knowledge and just create this really cool piece and like an entire head of somebody was just, it honestly was the reaction that made it so cool. Cause when they finally saw it, just seeing your own face dead has just like, it's gotta be, it's just such a weird feeling. It's such a cool feeling. It's just, it's something like a feeling that I've never really felt before. So that was really something special to me. Wow. So the process for that, you, you make the mold, I guess, of the actress's face. And then once that's created, you just, you do the makeup on that. You do the skin tone, you find a wig. Um, so the wig is actually going to be more of the hair department. So I'll partner with the hair department and get the wig and I'll take a picture of the wig and I'll kind of Photoshop that onto the face chart that I've already created. And I'm assuming this was one of those, we get one take at this type of shots or do you make, are you able to make multiple, multiple versions of that? Yeah. So if we have budget for it, I can definitely make multiple options for it. But normally I work on a lot of student films, um, a couple productions that could afford it, but we just chose not to because, you know, we could just clean it up and redo it. Um, and it's going to be it would, at the time it was being shot in a very low color grading. So it was like more of like a dark blue, very like ominous. So we wouldn't really see any of that super hyper realistic detail. So we wouldn't really see any of that hyper realistic detail, thankfully. And I wasn't I didn't have to make another one. Mike, this, this is so fascinating. All the things you do, all the hats you wear on a set no pun intended, uh, you do the makeups, you do the effects, you may be doing props, may be doing prosthetics. You touched on something that I definitely want to talk more about, which is having to take on multiple roles in addition to what, what your actual job is, you know, having to take on an art director, having to do wardrobe, because independent film producers down here maybe don't realize how important some of these things really are, and they, and they don't budget for that. So we're going to continue our conversation with Mike right after this short break. But first, we'd like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible, Cinevideotech and ComTV. We'll be right back. And we are back. So, Mike, in our last episode, we spoke with David Irvine, who is a script supervisor. One of the things we touched on was that, particularly in the indie film industry, filmmakers, especially those first starting out, they don't really understand how important some of these key roles are on a on a film set. That having a script supervisor, it's not just to make sure that someone's following their lines. The continuity piece is is critical to that. As a makeup artist, it seems that. Indie filmmakers know how important you are, but there seems to be a tendency to really not understand the true value. They don't budget for it properly. They'll maybe just put aside a couple hundred bucks for a week-long shoot, thinking that that's going to cover your your labor and cover all your all your product and costs. Um, can you talk a bit about some of those challenges that you face? Maybe help educate our audience on what exactly they get when they hire you. Um, how important a good makeup artist is to the look and feel of a film and really help put that the value of a makeup artist into some context? Yeah, absolutely. So a makeup artist, when it really comes down to it, it's just the value of your education, the material, your time, 
your experience and the overall price of all the product because the price of the product it could be a hundred dollars for the foundation palette you know it's forty dollars for the bronzer the eyeshadows could be twenty thirty dollars a piece sometimes if it's like a really nice one which i really only use the best product because if you don't your makeup suffers and the use the i always use krylon for my makeup and a krylon palette can range from anywhere to a hundred dollars to about 140 and it really does get expensive and on top of that if you're doing any prosthetics you need to buy all of the silicone you need to buy all of the molding material and then on top of that you have days and days of pre-production so a lot of people don't really take that into account if they're not thinking about it which is you know normal people it's it's totally okay but it's just educating that person on it and actually showing them the value of what they're getting. So, you know, breaking down that price into everything that you could possibly break it down into because it's so much better to present them a product and be like, okay, this is exactly how much it was. These are all the receipts instead of being like, okay, hand me a thousand dollars and I'll make you something cool. Let's say a producer contacts you and you give them that first quote. They say that's too much. You know, obviously there, there's there's some room for there, but do you do you in your mind have certain tiers like this? Would, this is the economy package. This is the premium package. This is the elite package that you'll get, or is it really just you're you're an elite makeup artist? You know, you premium. If that's not going to work for your film, this just unfortunately won't work. Uh, yeah, I have different prices for different films. I'll kind of sometimes read the script if it's a student film. And I'll give them like a specific price based on what they're looking for. Like, okay, if you only need me here for one day, I'll just charge you one day rate for my student rate, which is usually about 300. Um, And then I'll just kind of go from there and create whatever they need to, because it's more of like a passion project at that point. But when it comes to more big productions, I'll usually assume about five to 10% of the entire budget for makeup. And based off of that, that's how I'll make my breakdown based off of this script and if they want to break it down like no way we don't have that kind of money for that i'll be like okay so we can you know cut this out we can cut that out and then it'll be that so you break down everything you present you present them with the cost and they they really they really can get a a picture of what of what they're buying because uh there's an old adage like they're not just paying for your eight hours on set for that day or you know paying for all the product they're also paying for your 15 you know plus years experience exactly yeah they're paying for the years of experience you're paying for the time you're paying for everything that i have done up to this point to get here pretty much because you could hire somebody for a hundred dollars a day but they're not going to do the same work as somebody that charges 500 how much how much of your time do you find you have to spend spend doing the back and forth the negotiating the pricing out as opposed to just being able to get to work and doing doing the things you love Oh man, I'd probably say at least 80% of what I do is like behind the scenes because it's really about breaking down everything and making sure you have, especially when it comes to really heavy prosthetics and really heavy makeup, like a bruise or something that might not seem heavy to somebody that's, you know, just looking at it. It's just like, oh, it's just a bruise, but you really have to make sure it's in the right spot. You have to make sure like how that person got hit, what time they got hit, how old that bruise is. And just really get into that specific detail. And that's what I do when I break down the script. And when I break down the script, it's usually about, I'll probably read it about five, six times and break it down different times because you always see different things. And then, like I said, I'll go in and break down all those and then present that to the, to the producer or the director. 
Right. And, and also you talk about bruises, you talk about bleeding, you know, decomposing body. There, there probably has to be different stages in things. So it's not just applying it the one time for the shot, you know, whether the bruise grows or, or goes away after that, or, you know, this dead body's been there for a week. So the coloring change, how much work does that entail? That's going to be, a, that's a lot of work. <laughs> so like, um, if you think of a dead body, the dead body or a cadaver would go through about five different changes. So you would have to make about 10 different face charts because you're going to want to make at least two for each like state of decomposition in a sense, because you might see a little bit in this scene, but you might not see this in this scene. So we're going to have to make two face charts for that scene because they're still in the same scene, but they might, you might shoot one at the beginning. You might shoot one at the end. So you really need to make sure continuity is 100% because you could make a great film, but if the makeup continuity is off, you're going to throw off the whole story. Nobody's going to be even involved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. It goes back to our conversation with David a couple of weeks ago, that continuity, it, it often becomes an afterthought or what will happen. There's no script supervisor. So uh, the director will say, hey, continuity is everyone's responsibility. And when that happens, it becomes no one's responsibility until you're in the editing room and realize uh, how bad that is. I, I speak from some experience. So when you so when you go to work on a film, it's the spectrum. I'm sure on one side, it's going to be very easy makeup. And then, you know, the other the other side of that, um, you know, decomposing bodies or things like, like that. Which to those of you seems more fun? Is it doing the decomposing body because you really, really get to exercise your craft? Or is it nice sometimes to just have relatively easy things to do um it really honestly depends on how i'm feeling like if i've already planned everything out and everything's set and i have like two assistants a hundred percent it's going to be the dead body but if i'm sitting here and i have you know two hours to do a dead body by myself it's going to be excruciating because everybody's going to be coming in looking at it chatting like oh what's going on what's going on you know so it doesn't really give me that chance to really focus but if i have an assistant you know i can kind of close the door and I can kind of focus more on the craft that I need to do. And then any extra, I can kind of let my assistant do and take all that off my shoulders. Right. It's also important. Uh, you mentioned how preparing time and, and getting things prepared. You must also talk with the first AD, you know, the director. So knowing, hey, we're shooting this this afternoon. You have it at this time, but you only have, you know, five minutes between between shots. It's going to take longer to, to get this set up. How do you manage that? How do you, how do you bring that to their attention when they haven't really thought about it and, you know, explain how much that can really impact the overall. Oh, absolutely. So if they don't have a, that'll usually be on the sheet. It'll be kind of like laid out for me when they're shooting, what time specifically they want that shot at. So I'll break that down. I'll be like, okay, if this takes an hour to do and they want them in the chair at four fifteen, I have to get them in the chair at three fifteen. And no matter where they're at, I'll kind of run and get them. And that's why it's always nice to have an assistant, because if I do have an assistant, I can just have them run and grab them while I'm doing something else or setting up. So, yeah. So so there could sometimes be the the tug of war. You know, the director needs the actor actress for a shoot, but you need to get them ready for the next shot. Uh, just a lot of things moving on. What's what's one of the, the largest or most complex sets that you've ever worked on or one of the most complex shoots you've ever been involved with? So there was this huge film that I worked on. It was the first 
and biggest film I've actually ever worked on. I think it was a $3 million budget and it was shot out in Apalachicola. So that was super fun. We had so much money to work with and so many prosthetics and we were living in this like ancient house, which was like abandoned and hit by a hurricane. So it was just, it looked super decayed. And that was probably the best film set I've been on. Cause that was the first time I was ever flown out for a set. You know what I mean? So like being flown out for a set and like going to this like super like just shut off from everything else community is just so cool because like all these people in town, it was like two days into shooting and everybody in town, like even the lady at the gas station, she was like, Oh, you're the shoot. You guys are shooting that film. Right. And I'm like, yeah, how do you know? Like, (laughs) <laughs> what what were the makeup and effects like on that film so that was pretty special effects heavy um so it was pretty much i don't want to say too much about it because i did sign an nda but pretty much um an old man kills a girl and then that girl thinks that the killer is coming to get her but then she shoots without looking and that's her brother so she actually killed the only person that could potentially save her life So that was like the biggest part of it. So we had this giant blood splatter that shot out and like blood was actually dripping from the floor, like up the second floor down to the first floor. It was very cool. Is there anything that really stands out in your mind as probably the single biggest challenge you've ever faced? You know, the, the most outlandish request for either makeup or an effect? Oh yeah. I have so many people that come to me and they're like, we want to do these like crazy werewolves or something like that. And then they're like, yeah, our budget's $250. I'm like, okay. So like I can maybe buy some fur, like, you know, we can throw some faux fur on their head, but you know, like something like that, they don't really think about the production of the actual production of the piece, you know? So when they don't think about how it's actually going to be produced, then it's just, it's usually, I just, I just don't do it honestly, because like I only go and work with people that I know they know what they're doing. I know they respect my craft and I know that at the end of the day, it's going to be a great set and a great film. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I've, I've been very fortunate to see your work up close. Um, and I find all this fascinating learning new things. And it's really just a, it's I I always marvel at people who can do things that I, I'm pretty confident I cannot. Uh, so we're going to take one more break and then we'll be back to conclude this episode you're listening to the cinema's pathway podcast Hello again to our listeners. I'm Howard Brand. We are talking today with makeup and effects artist Mike Maloney. Mike, we talked earlier, this is this is your busy time of the year. Obviously, you're very um, involved with, with a lot of haunting thing. After this season, what else do you have coming up? So next, I'm actually working on, uh, starting like in a couple of days, I'm working on Big Easy Queens. Um, so that's going to be a really fun drag queen themed movie. Um, so definitely go check it out. Um, it's going to be distributed somewhere i'm not exactly sure where yet but i think they're going to be putting it on amazon or i think they're shooting for like netflix or hulu as well that's awesome and you know we we talked earlier you know your journey you've been fortunate to to learn from some very interesting people what advice would you give to a college student or even somebody younger who wants wants to pursue this type of work honestly i would just say never give up 
constantly be working at it, constantly be trying to find jobs. Don't just sit there and wallow and be like, oh, I don't have any work. Oh, people are better than me. You know, everyone's everyone has a different level and there's work out there for everybody if you want to go and find it. So would you recommend definitely like get involved if you're in high school, even though you may you may not be an actor, go get involved with the theater program and offer to do makeup. Just get involved wherever you can. Absolutely. Definitely working in theater helped me out a lot when I was younger because in high school I was a thespian. So I feel like, again, that just gives you such a good aspect of working in the film industry um, because it's kind of they kind of go hand in hand. And it's interesting as well because a theater actor can be a great actor but I personally find an actor cannot be a great theater actor because it's so different. I listened to the podcast previously and he mentioned how he was an actor in the theater world and how, how that kind of helped him become an actor and those really small movements compared to those very vast movements that you would see in theater. They just, they just work so well together. And when you see an actor go into a theater it's like they almost don't know what to do if they've never been in theater. So right, and and from from your your point of view, is a is theatrical makeup very different from movie makeup? Yeah, so theatrical makeup is going to be very different because you really it's compared to seeing somebody two three feet away or even maybe even a couple inches away, depending on how wide or tight the shot is, compared to a theater where you're you know you could be 100, 200, maybe even three hundred feet or yards away from the person on screen or on the stage. So if they're on the stage, they really need dramatic makeup. They really need, you know, cut cheeks and that really dramatic look that if you see them in person, they almost kind of look like a drag queen. So that's really what the makeup you're going for in theater is compared to like you would in a movie where it's more, you know, very subtle. Have you had the chance to work in theater? Yeah. So I've, yeah. So I've worked in theater a couple of times. I used to do a Rocky Horror Picture Show. And um, so I was acting and doing makeup for that. And that was super fun because that was the first time I really got deep down in like a production down here, a theater production down here. And it was just so much fun because I haven't done theater acting since high school. So it was a really good experience and also really refreshing, really refreshing. Yeah. And you mentioned experience. So you've had a lot of experience uh, in different parts of the country. Uh, you know, you mentioned you've been in Georgia, you shot in Appalachia, you're obviously down here. And it always seems like a struggle to really get people to want to come to South Florida to film. So what would you say to people that wanted to come down here? What would you say to the people, you know, that have influence on those that could come down and film here? I would say, please, <laughs> please come down and film here because there's just so much opportunity. There's so much talent and there's just so much great visuals to use for film. I feel like you could shoot anything in Miami and it would just look authentic because Miami has so much beauty and so much art. And I feel like there's not enough of that out there. There's not enough really good raw productions that people can relate to. And I feel like shooting something down here in Miami specifically would really give that aspect to a film because it's just like, I don't know, like the grunge of Miami, the whole like underground scene, the whole art scene is just so much different from anything in the country. So yeah, just Miami is like a, a Miami should be its own state. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> Let's put it that way. 
Absolutely, and and I second a lot of a lot of things you say. So many of the, you know, we'll, we'll call them the big Hollywood productions now. Um, not to take anything away from any of the artists that are involved with that, but with the green screens and with CGI and now the 360 view that's that's on there, it's uh, you know it takes away a little bit bit from from the story that's on there. So before we wrap up, Mike, you mentioned your Instagram, Maloney Effects. If our listeners want to get in touch with you or follow you on social media, besides that, where can they find you? Yeah. So they, again, like they said that you can follow me on Instagram at Maloney effects, M A L O N E Y E F F E C T S. Or you can go to my website, which is pretty much the same thing. Mike Maloney. Um, it's www.maloneyeffects.com. And then I also have another website where I make rugs and just conceptual art and more stuff that I would sell to a production for an art department. And that would be queer cave underscore. Great. And do you ever do any makeup tutorials or if somebody wanted to learn more, is there a site you could go to or book you could recommend? Although this is not an endorsement, just, just something for future makeup artists to get there to get started with yeah you can find a couple different books um my favorite is going to be really anything involving dick blake because he's almost like the grandfather of special effects makeup because every concept that has come along he's kind of started he it's like he walked so we could run <laughs> in a sense but in regards to classes i do teach um i teach on a very specific basis though like when people come to me if they come for classes if they want to learn like how to do their eyeshadow on their specific eye shape um, I'll teach them that or if they want to learn how to apply a lip and make their lip look more full or if they want to apply a lip and make their lip look fuller I can do that as well so it really depends on like what they're looking for in regards to classes so feel free to reach out if you want any classes I'm always free I'm in Fort Lauderdale and love to teach and love to talk <laughs> That's awesome, Mike. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been so uh, informative. Uh, I think you definitely inspired some people to really want to take a step towards this as, as a career. And from all of us, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Cinema's Pathway podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. And to our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema's Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Mike Maloney. Our producer is Juliet Esan, along with associate producer, Victor Ferreira, and executive producer, Freddie R. Rodriguez. We'd all like to thank our guest, Mike Maloney. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also leave any comments or suggestions for future episodes. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Lights out.